2: From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Priya David-Clemens. The new Netflix film Sea Spiracy, has a terrifying message about the state of our seas.
3: We are at war with the oceans. And if we win this war, we're going to lose it all because mankind is not able to live on this planet with a dead sea.
2: According to the film, the oceans will be dead in 30 years without massive changes, and it's time for us all to stop eating fish. But experts say the film's claims are inaccurate and do more harm than good for our struggling oceans. We'll talk about the controversial documentary and what can be done to restore abundance to our waters. That's next on Forum, right after this news. Hello and welcome to Forum. You've heard a wide array of voices since Michael Krasny retired as we search for our next permanent host for this hour. This week, you get me. My name is Priya David Clemens, and I have to warn you, I'm a rank radio amateur. I typically work on our TV side hosting KQED newsroom, but since that show's on hiatus, I get to be here. And yes, I've done hella broadcast TV, but I've never hosted a radio show until, well, right now. Here we go. Netflix is making big waves with its recent movie, Seaspiracy, which looks at the true cost of seafood. It highlights massive issues that range from overfishing to pollution to slavery. The documentary has succeeded at causing many of us, myself included, to question if we should be eating fish at all. Critics say while Seaspiracy does shed light on major problems, it also regularly exaggerates the facts, and it comes up with an untenable solution. Joining us now are Alan Lovewell, the founder and CEO of Real Good Fish. Hello, Alan. Hi, Priya. Daniel Polly, a marine biology expert, a fisheries scientist, and a professor at the University of British Columbia. He's also a member of the board of directors at Oceana. Daniel, thank you for joining us.
4: You're welcome. Welcome. Yeah.
2: And Jennifer Bushman, a sustainable fish farming expert and a strategic development consultant with Route to Market. Hello, Jennifer.
5: Thank you so much. So happy to be here.
2: All right, so the film's basic tenet is that the way we are fishing today is unsustainable and will literally destroy our oceans and eventually our planet. So let's start right there. Daniel Pauly, is that true?
4: Um, Unfortunately, much of it is true. Um, The fisheries of the world are are excessive, and they are murderous for animals, lots of them, and uh, for people as well. And... um, the, the upsetting part of this of this film to me was not the fact that the fisheries were that the situation of fisheries was exaggerated because it is really bad. Uh, the the upsetting part was uh, that a, a serious problem such as that was presented as having a, a simple solution, which is to become vegan. And the this make this this is not. Correct, because you cannot solve a problem like that by individual act, action or non-action, such such as not eating fish, and also because it it it, it makes you impotent in, in in the face of a monster problem, which actually has solution and which can be fixed.
2: And I'm looking forward to getting into some of those solutions. I know that you've argued for uh, the need for government intervention. But I do want to talk for a moment about the issue that eating fish presents in the world right now. Uh, You know, you wrote some time ago about the problems with eating fish and that people who think that they might be environmentally conscious continue to eat fish as if it were a sustainable practice. And you wrote, quote, Eating fish, uh, eating a tuna roll at a sushi restaurant should be considered no more environmentally benign than driving a hummer or harpooning a manatee.
4: Yep. Yes. Uh, tuna, Tuna are exceedingly hard to catch. You have to go very far. You have to deploy an immense amount of energy to do that. And the major problem with tuna fisheries is that most of them are subsidized to the hilt they could not get enough money to operate if they were not subsidized. And that is one of the problems that they have, because in addition to subsidies that they get from government, they self-subsidize themselves by not paying their crew. And hence, you have the problem of slavery and, and other problem of cutting corners everywhere. And and But these problems are solved typically by government intervention. They are not problem that uh, you can solve By by, by refusing to eat, for example, tuna. Uh, The best example is is uh, cigarettes. Cigarette uh, smoking in public places were not was not abolished by me not deciding not to smoke, and I've never smoked. It it doesn't influence um, uh, big industries. The the individual behavior of it it has to be translated via organization via. For civil society, via, for example, um, NGOs, and this is precisely where the where the film fails, because it it criticizes instead of criticizing the 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 these activities and 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 identifying the culprits and identifying strategy to beat beat them, uh, it criticizes the NGO, the various groups, civil society, which fight against it.
2: And I want to point out that we did request the director, Ali Tabrizi, and the producer, Kip Anderson, to join us for this hour, but they didn't respond, so we're proceeding without them. Jennifer Bushman, tell us, what did the film get right about the sustainable fish farming industry?
5: Well, I mean, I think that they obviously felt that – They that the sustainable fishing in uh, fish farming industry was over utilizing feeder fish and that going into um, the inputs that it takes for farming, that this was not a sustainable solution either. So I would say that what the film got right outside from fish farming was that our oceans are reaching a tipping point and that we do need to find better ways at protecting them. But where it stopped short was that there are incredible fishing and aquaculture practices that um, are moving forward and that are changing. And so the way I really relate to it is is like Monsanto was when we looked at the farming or the need for increased farming. Farming of wheat or corn or soy. You know, all of a sudden you had bad practices, GMO practices that were put into place. And instead of saying we're not going to eat it at all, what we did was we said we're going to take this on. We know it's a nutritive ingredient that we need, and we're going to find a way to be able to farm it better. And that's really the, the promise that can be fulfilled around sustainable, ethical aquaculture. We have 3 billion people across the globe that depend on fish and seafood as their primary source of protein. And the fish supplies 17% of all protein that's consumed in the world. You know, I, I said, when was the last time you asked if your ribeye was wild caught? So it's time for all of us to understand that we can find ethical, sustainable, even regenerative farming practices to be able to supplement demand on our oceans to leave resources where it's needed.
2: And Adam, you come from a uh, long line of people who have fished in your background, and you got into fishing yourself, actually, uh, a little bit later in life. But... Tell us about this concern that so much of our fish stocks in the wild have been decimated. The film itself and other scientific publications have said 90 percent of our large fish have been, you know, absolutely pulled out of the ocean. They're just not there anymore. And this is all due to commercial overfishing.
3: Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. I mean, I think at the core of this issue is that, you know, we. We have a pretty enormous ocean um, and the issues that we're talking about are occurring at a lot of varying levels of scale. And and what that means is that um, if you were to take a magnifying glass and look at any particular part of the world, yes, the ocean is in trouble. But that doesn't say that there are places of hope, that there are places where actually we're doing an incredible job at rebuilding our fisheries and, and stewarding and protecting the resource. And so I think that is my biggest issue with this uh, documentary is that it fails to provide hope to the audience and remind folks that we aren't just destroying the ocean, that we're not just out there pillaging, you know, at the cost of animal life and, and human life. Um, there are those instances, absolutely, and then it's, it's troubling. Again, industry and NGOs have aligned themselves and governments have aligned themselves to take these issues on head, take these issues head on. Um, but it's incredibly important to remember that in doing that, we are finding solutions. In doing that, there is hope. In doing that, there are communities who are actively on the water protecting those resources, and not just for the sake of the resource itself, but for the benefit of humans, for the benefit of food, recognizing, again, as Jennifer pointed out, that the world depends on seafood significant portions of, of the globe, this is their primary food source, right? So it is important to remember that when we're looking at a population of 10 billion here shortly, that seafood, whether it's aquaculture or wild capture, is going to be a part of that solution rather than just you know, completely removing it from the equation. We need to think about how we do it better. And again, how do we improve the resource itself?
2: Daniel Polly, when we look at these various solutions, government intervention, sustainable fish farming, uh, more sustainable wild catch, where do these all fall? What is the priority that we should be looking at?
4: Um, one has to understand that government intervention here is not something alien. Is not something that, oh my gosh, the you, you socialist government intervention. Government intervention are necessary Everywhere, the market cannot regulate things. And the interests of a single fisher are directed uh, to, to uh, are not aligned with the interests of, the, of uh, people in general. Uh, because a single fisher will want to increase his catch, whereas society in general has to uh, make sure that uh, the productive capacity of the water around the country is not exceeded and therefore intervention is absolutely necessary to run the fishery and uh, the US for example has very well run fisheries because the 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 because it, because the interest of the fisheries and uh, of of, fish, of fishers and the interest of the of, of society at large to have abundant resources
2: in and the sea and we are, are met. going to be picking this right back up after the break you're listening to daniel Polly a professor at the University of British Columbia, Alan Lovewell, the founder and CEO of Real Good Fish, and Jennifer Bushman, a sustainable fish farming expert. We want to hear from you. Have you seen this film? And we want to know about what reactions you had and what considerations you make about the seafood you put on your table. Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Priya David-Clemens. We are talking about the true cost of the seafood industry and the controversial Netflix documentary Seaspiracy. Uh, needed to interrupt Daniel Polly. just going into that break. Please, uh, if you'd continue, sir.
4: Um, I was pointing out that the interest of a single fisher or a single firm uh, and the interest of society at large to have uh, abundant ocean, ocean life uh, are not... Uh, do not align, and therefore it's necessary for for uh, the state to intervene, for government to intervene. It's similar to uh, driving cars, uh, collectively we we don't we cannot have cars racing at incredible speed through the through the city. And uh, but people have may may want to do that, and and the result is that you have uh, reg, regulation about how fast you can speed, you can you can drive, and uh, similar. Uh, similarly, you you, you must uh, run fisheries. You must manage fisheries. And uh, the point is that in many countries of the world, they are not managed. They they are not managed, and the result is the mess that we have seen uh, that, that we have seen in this movie. But uh, to conclude uh, from this mess that the only way it can be it can be managed that you can sort out this mess is is not eating fish is completely absurd. It's like saying that traffic can, cannot be regulated, uh, uh, speed cannot be regulated, and we we should all walk.
2: And, Julia, I want to point out a very important piece about regenerating our oceans with wild-caught fish and the importance of that to our ecosystem. Could you talk a little bit about what it would take to restore abundance to our oceans in terms of wild fisheries and how sustainable fish farming makes that possible?
5: Well, we know that demand is going to grow and we've talked about the billions of people, whether it's, whether it's indigenous communities, we have island nations, many, many cultures around the world that rely on a sustainable fish supply, the majority of which comes from wild capture fisheries. And so when I look at what it means to be able to put different types of ethical, sustainable, regenerative aquaculture into the water, it is one where we really can fill the gap in the same way that we've managed to fill the gap with other types of food production. The reality is in the United States, we're already eating the majority of the fish and seafood that we eat is And so the question now is, how do we raise that, that expectation, get educated around what feed models are, what types of species that we eat, and really support those farmers that are best in class, that are doing a great job. And what it means, Priya, is we have to be more educated. It means we're going to need to know a little bit more about where our food comes from. And so one of the things that I encourage the groups that I work with, the farmers, Farmers is to say, get a brand out there. We as we love to have, as Daniel spoke about, simple answers to incredibly complex problems as humans. But one of the things we like to do is lean on branding. And so if we can tell the story of the farmer, if that farmer can look the same as the land farmer that you know, for example, from the farmer's market, and you can understand all of that hard work, then what it does is it supports great work on the water. We have feed models that do not need marine ingredients. The the model of the future around sustainable, ethical aquaculture is bright and there is a lot that's being applied to it groups like Google are very involved in technologies around data collection and water management and farming is happening both on land as well as on sea. So this can be something where we can get price lowered, we can develop more aquaculture even in the United States and what I feel like is it can make fish and seafood even that much more accessible so that we can fight nutritional injustice and be able to put an incredibly important nutritive ingredient on the plates of those that need it so badly.
2: I want to go to the phones now. We've got a caller, Tom, from Marin. And Tom, uh, you want to talk about sustainable fisheries.
6: Yes, I I live in the Bay Area, but I travel to Alaska every summer to fish commercially for salmon. And I just think we should do a better job of holding up some of the examples the US has done in sustainable fishing for the past uh, many decades. Um, Bristol Bay, Alaska, for example, largest sockeye salmon fishery in the world. And basically, um, the fishery is growing in size. The harvest is growing. Um, The past 30 years, it's increased 30 percent. So this is a model that we should show to the world that uh, it is possible to have sustainable fisheries. And it's just a myth uh, to say otherwise.
2: And, And Tom, did you get a chance to watch the documentary and what were your thoughts on it?
6: I did, and uh, it just reminds us that in the information age, sensationalism sells. That's what gets the eyeballs. And uh, it's just unfortunate that that um, damages the true message that there are major problems in the international fishing fishing industries, and we need to focus on how to resolve those problems, whether it's geopolitically or uh, otherwise.
2: Tom, thanks for your call. Alan, um, as the CEO of Real Good Fish and with a lot of uh, time in the water and your experience, what do you think of Tom's comments about sustainable fisheries and where that can be done?
3: Yeah, I think Tom did a great job at, you know, sort of illustrating where, you know, we need to celebrate a lot of instances of, of success. And to be honest, here in the United States, um, we are lucky. We are privileged in a sense that we have actually done an incredible job at rebuilding our fisheries. Now, there's no question that in the, you know, industrial age and an era of overfishing that we did incredibly, uh, incredible harm to the oceans and to its resources. And that was, you know, again, through World War One, World War Two. you know, feeding armies, you know, we were really sort of exploring the limits of, of the ocean in that sense as a food source. Um, come the 70s, 80s, we really took a a sharp turn and said look we gotta we gotta fix this problem and 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 there was a global call to action through the UN the the law of the sea was a was a paramount um you know effort to extend our protected waters up to 200 miles for any given coastal community or coastal country Um, the United States in addition uh, put together the Magnuson-Stevens Act which is the cornerstone of sustainable fisheries in this country and what it, it dictated what it Demanded was that every fishery that we are harvesting in this country is managed by a thing called MSY or maximum sustainable yield. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that we are scientifically assessing these stocks to ensure that we're not pulling out more fish than the fish are able to reproduce themselves, in addition to feeding the ecosystems that depend on them in it as well. And it's working. And as Tom pointed out, it's working in Bristol Bay. It's working here on the California West Coast so the West Coast brownfish, a fishery a few decades ago, which was declared a national disaster. Um, There was really no hope to be seen. They thought that the fishery wouldn't rebuild, even with all these management actions, until 2050 or so. And here we are in around 2018, 2019, was actually declared a success. In fact, the fish and the resource rebounded, right? And I think this is another lesson that we've learned over and over again, is that these ecosystems are incredibly resilient and robust if we give them space if we leave them alone and let them come back and that is exactly what has happened here on the west coast and so we need to remind ourselves that we have the tools we certainly have the need um, we you know there's no question that sustainable fisheries and a more sustainable relation to the ocean is necessary it, it's un- without a question um, but back to you know what Daniel's pointing out that We have to look at this at a solution mindset to not be part of the problem is different than being part of the solution. And, and so it's, you know, important to highlight these success stories because that is where we should be putting our energy. That is where we can find the light. And that is where we can, you know, recreate these instances through our learnings and through our scientific methods and through our policy and management, our conversations, our dialogues and, and make these things successful.
2: Thanks. Let's go to the phones again now. We've got caller Julia, uh, who is eight years old, calling in now. Julia, hi. Hello. Hi, Julia. You have a question for us? Or a comment?
7: Yeah. I made a donation uh, in November to Oceana. So I'm wondering, what do they do with the donations that they get from other people
2: Well, they do with
7: donations.
2: Okay, let's find out. We have Daniel Polly, who is a board member at Oceana. Uh, Daniel, would you tell us a little bit more about the stated goal of Oceana? And as Julia asked, what do you do with your donations?
4: The stated goal of Oceana is to rebuild fisheries, exactly like Alan described, to rebuild fisheries in the world. And uh, it it includes the world, the the Oceana, includes the US, the EU, the European Union, um, uh, several countries in uh, South America, Peru, uh, Chile, uh, Brazil, uh, and uh, one country in Asia, Philippines, and uh, and Belize, I've almost forgot. So in these countries, we have teams that have to be paid that work uh, to push legislation, that will do the same thing as the Magnuson Stevens Act has done in the US. Enable, enable, legi- enable the fisheries to be regulated, enable abundance to be restored, enhance the fisheries to, be, to become sustainable and uh, to earn more money, actually. And it, it, it works because many NGOs, they work with small fishers community, which, which is a good idea. But actually, not many NGOs work at the level of countries, legislation, parliament, uh, congress, and uh, to change legislation. And uh, with regard to aquaculture, for example, Oceana has uh, uh, cleaned up, have, helps clean up the, the use of antibiotics in, uh, in, um, in Chilean aquaculture. They use lots of antibiotics, make everybody sick, and uh, this is very dangerous. So uh, Oceana, specifically in in there, uh fights against anti- the use of antibiotics in in um, in uh, aquaculture. So in each country, uh, it has been possible to identify to identify issue that uh, the major issue that keeps the fishery down, and to work against it. For example, in Belize, we have managed to to forbid trawling. Uh, trawling is a very very r- wrong way to harvest fish, and uh, very destructive. And we have abolished trawling, and legislation has been passed that makes it illegal to troll. Uh, also, we work toward uh, toward uh, uh, we have a plastic campaign. We have uh, against plastic, obviously, and we have various campaigns. So the money is used to pay the people who fight to for to clean up the ocean and to improve. The, the, the state of this exploited stocks so that everybody benefits from it, from the, the fishes to the animals that live in the ecosystem uh, together with the fish.
2: Thank you for that answer. Julia, do you feel your question was answered? Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Okay, great. Well, thank you for your time today. Uh, We're going to go to a comment now. A listener has written in saying, I watched the documentary. I found the film alarming. But I think the overall point was that the main problem is large-scale fishing and that the oceans can rebound amazingly quickly if we just give them a chance. The call to stop eating fish is valid, but it will only be for a short time during which we can review our fishing practices. I do not think small-scale fishing needs to be affected by this. And let's take another call now. I'd like to hear from Bobby. Uh, Bobby, you're in San Francisco, and you have some thoughts about land-based aquaculture.
1: Yeah, I thought that the, the movie didn't really touch too, too much on land-based aquaculture. And I know there's a lot of uh, pretty exciting technological advances uh, happening as it comes to land-based aquaculture and water treatment. Uh, specifically uh, in shrimp, uh, I've been hearing a lot about. Um, And I wondered if the uh, panel had any comments about the future of land-based aquaculture. It feels uh, like a a natural way to uh, boost an economy, but also uh, boost production of one of the most highly consumed um, pieces of seafood there is in the country and in the world, which is shrimp.
2: And Jennifer, not surprisingly, I'm going to go to you with this uh, comment from Bobby. But before we do that, I want to write, uh, read another message that came in from Annie. She says the only sustainable fish farming are closed-system, carbon-neutral, multitrophic, land-based fish farms. Don't be fooled by today's misleading show. These farms and this highly litigious industry infuse the ocean with harmful pharmaceuticals, Fish pathogens lead to inevitable non-native fish escapes, attract and kill birds and ocean animals, and are associated with slavery, murder, and mafia-like corruption. This certainly makes it sound like you don't want to go towards sustainable fish farming at all.
5: Well, I mean, that's the old. You know, I always say there are so many things that have been looked at that are dusting off the old playbook. And what I would really encourage her to do is look at what is happening um, on farms such as Quare Arctic. You have a third generation family farm in the Arctic circle that has never once used antibiotics or chemicals. There are not marine mammal interactions. You know, it all is based on site placement, having good future forward looking, sustainable ethical feed models. And again, it is a enormously complex situation and we certainly, um, you know, I would love to be able to continue that conversation. When we look at land-based, Bobby, what I want to talk about with that is that right now we're in a, we are in a very good time in terms of the technological development around land-based aquaculture. But I would also caution you because, like many of the things that we've moved on land, it is energy intensive. Depending on where it is, it can be resource intensive from a water perspective. I would suggest aquaculture actually has less slavery issues, to be honest. And again, we're talking about those that are not commodity, but that are rated at the and recommended at the very, very highest standard. So it's going to take all inputs to be able to get that seat at the table at the future of food. And so when we look at this, it's going to not be a single solution that is in going to ensure food security rather it's going to be reserving healthy proteins and nutrients for all of us so we have to improve we have to strengthen and we have to scale all of these systems, including aquaculture. So it's not painting a black or white portrait. There are incredible land-based farms right now. Superior Fresh is one that is in Wisconsin that is providing a land-based, multitropic system with vegetables, greens, as well as salmon that's going to Festival Foods, which is local, a huge local grocery group. So it sounds that's like
2: the perfect. industry is certainly improving uh, and we will get back to that. We have a lot of callers to get to and a lot of comments if you're just joining us. My name is Priya david Clemens. You're listening to Forum, and we are talking about the true cost of the seafood industry and the controversial Netflix documentary Seaspiracy with Alan Lovewell, the founder and CEO of Real Good Fish, Daniel Polly, a marine biologist, fisheries scientist and professor at the University of British Columbia, and Jennifer Bushman, a sustainable fish farming expert and strategic development consultant with Root to Market. We want to hear from you. Have you seen the film Seaspiracy? What reactions did you have? And what do you think about when you consider what seafood you put on your table? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We'll be right back after a quick break with a caller who says... They liked the movie and thinks this show is missing the point. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens. We're talking about the true cost of the seafood industry and the controversial Netflix documentary Seaspiracy. I want to go straight to the phones now. We have a caller, Paren. Am I saying your name right?
1: Yeah, close enough.
2: All right. Uh, please, what are your what are your thoughts on the movie?
1: Well, first of all, I just want to appreciate all the people on the panel. You know, I think all of you are doing great work none of the work that i know about but it sounds like there's a really big problem i think what you guys are all um missing the point on is this movie spent about an hour and 57 minutes of a two-hour period telling us about a problem we didn't know existed as viewers as as consumers of this fish as some of you pointed out we thought this was a sustainable option for us as an alternative to chicken or meat and when i first heard that this forum was going to go on i was hearing well, wild exaggerations about the issues. Every single one of you have talked about, you know, them not pointing out the correct solution and, hey, government needs to get involved. We need to highlight more sustainable practices that are occurring and propagate those up. But none of you have contradicted any of the issues they pointed out. And I think that's the most important thing as consumers who aren't going to spend the energy and time doing what all of you do. And again, thank you. But if you decrease the amount of demand on fish, That will reduce the pressure on supply and therefore ease the amount of, you know, malpractices going on, which will only support your teams to doing better work on the ocean. So what I would say is we need to help uh, evolve the discussion around this movie and say, hey, we got a serious problem here. Let's talk about the solution and maybe reducing fish consumption is one of them. But here's some other solutions. Not hey, this movie was no good because they didn't agree with our solution. And that's sort of the tenor of the conversation that I think you guys are missing. So I really appreciate your time. And again, I really appreciate all the good work you guys are doing. Keep it up. Thank
2: and, you. and before I let you go, tell me about your own personal reaction. Are you, were you a fish eater? Are you a fish eater? Has this movie changed your behavior?
1: Well, certainly um, the initial reaction is, oh, my God, how, how, how can we keep eating fish? I think the reality is that we have to kind of reanalyze how much fish we do eat. Now, I did first say, hey, I'm never going to eat fish again. And then it's, hey, I'm not going to eat fish as much as I ate it before until we see some of these solutions taking place. Um, And I also would agree that if we just go full, you know, um, no meat and and go fully on land, then we're going to create other problems that we can't anticipate. So, yeah, my initial reaction was to, to greatly reduce the amount of fish consumption. Um, and I think I'm going to continue to do that for sure.
2: Thanks for your call. Daniel Polly. I think, you know, what this caller was just pointing out is that when you watch this movie, there's an emotional gut punch. You, you see it and think, oh, my gosh, all I can do is stop eating fish because if I don't stop eating fish, I'm going to destroy the planet. So what is your advice for the best thing that we can do as consumers to 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 make this world a better place?
4: Well, uh, I regret, but uh, it's not as consumer that we solve a problem of that kind. Uh, as consumers, we can uh, choose what we eat, we can choose what we smoke or we don't smoke, We can choose lots of things, but we cannot determine whether a fishery will be run with slave or not with slave. We cannot determine whether uh, 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 illegal fishing will occur in developing countries or not. We cannot, there are things that we cannot solve through our consumer behavior. Uh, There are things that can be solved only by uh, organizing oneself uh, through civil society and acting as citizens. And that's the whole point that I'm, I'm making: that this film, by by uh, formulating the solution as a personal solution, uh, actually disarm people, disintensifies them to to from doing anything. Uh, take the the example of in this film of the person of this older man who, with white hair. I don't who was representing an organization protecting uh, a, a dolphin. Hundred thousand of dolphin were caught before uh, in tuna catching operation. Now it's only a few, perhaps a dozen or, or a few. And the man was honest enough to say we cannot guarantee that there will be no absolute no dolphin killed. Uh, but we can guarantee that uh, we we have achieved that the hundred thousand that were killed before or are not killed anymore. And he was dismissed and uh, presented as a, a, almost a liar uh, uh, to to the to the public. So the the film um, disarms you; it 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 demotivates you to act through the NGO community and to act through association and to act collectively against things. The this. Uh, Yet it is the only way that uh, social change can be achieved. Social change cannot be achieved as by consumers who act only in their own self kind of motivation. That it never happened and it will never happen. We have to organize ourselves and and act as a group against uh, such practices and demotivating uh, the, the public. That's what this film achieves, because you, lots of people like you have asked themselves, will I continue to eat fish? Well, you will continue to eat fish. So what, what does it change? Nothing.
2: And, you know, one of the, the people who was featured in the film was Dr. Sylvia Earle. We have a quick um, cut from the documentary that will play for you with a couple different voices. Uh, so let's listen to that and come back to the conversation.
6: If you want to address climate change, the first thing you do is protect the ocean. And the solution to that is very simple. Leave it alone.
0: Most of the positive and negative things that bring about change in human civilization start with someone, someone.
2: So I think some of the argument here is that yes, governments need to do this work. Governments are made up of people and they are pushed by people. Uh, Alan, could you talk with us a little bit about your thoughts on this matter, that there are major problems out there that shouldn't be whitewashed by simply talking about the solutions? Because maybe the solutions aren't enough.
3: Yeah, I appreciate the caller's comments. And, you know, I think, again, this, I'm going to speak for myself, I won't speak for the rest of the panel, but I, i I will say that I agree with him but I think that the the, the movie did actually one really good thing, which has got people talking. I actually don't can't think of anything right now in recent history that has got talk, people talking about seafood in the way in which this, this film has. And, and I would also um, like to say that like Oceana and other NGO groups and in industry are often every day in vigorous debate about how do we solve these problems? Because as Polly mentioned, you know there is tension, but that tension is what makes us sustainable. That is the stakeholder process. That is what makes and defines the policy decisions that again are driving us towards innovation and solutions. Right? What's funny about this this movie is that it put us all on one side. Actually, like we're used to being in tension in, in a good way, but you know, and, and as the saying goes in policy, <laughs> if you're not upsetting someone, you're probably not going doing a good job, <laughs> right? And so what's what's again funny about this is that here we are, you know, actually on the same side of the fence saying look, seafood is a solution. And yes, the problems can't you know be overstated, but the way that the film presented those problems was was malicious at best. You know, it was really, you know, presenting false information. The research that it was presenting in that documentary was actually not true. Um, the interviews that they conducted in that movie were heavily edited and the folks that were interviewed are actually ashamed of what was what was presented in that film because in those two-hour conversations and being distilled into, you know, a couple sound bites, the full narrative wasn't captured and the, and the narrative that, that was captured was the one that supports this, you know, this vegan propaganda. And I have no problem against veganism and I agree, we should be eating more vegetables, less meats. I think a lot of people are understanding you know, the, the role that, you know, um, meat consumption has in climate change and in the environment. But to assume that we can all and should all strive for a vegan-type diet, I think, is, is incorrect. We have to understand, again, the core issue here is that the ocean is complex. And therefore, the solutions are going to be complex as well. And it's the folks like ourselves that are day in and day out dealing with that complexity and not – looking for some silver bullet solution, but looking at community by community, fishery by fishery. And I will say one last thing about, you know, statement, which I disagree with, which is that I absolutely believe that the consumer is empowered. I absolutely believe, and I think that is what Seaspiracy was trying to do. They were trying to empower the consumer to change their diet, to stop eating seafood. And I would say in the same tone, I think the more successful strategy is to empower the consumer to eat and find sustainable seafood. That's why what we do and what we're all about is traceability. We're all about supporting fisheries that are managed well, um, supporting diverse diets, getting people to eat more than just tuna and salmon, you know, getting people to eat species that they've never even had before. And even furthermore, eating species that are lower in the trophic level. That is things like anchovies, sardines, herring, things that actually, if you look at the science, are actually better to eat and less impactful than a lot of vegetables, right? And that's a whole nother conversation. Mm-hmm. But fundamentally, we have to understand that diet and food and food systems and the way it inter- inter- intersects with the environment in our societies is complex. And we cannot, we cannot oversimplify that, because that is where we're going to run into more trouble. And, and then, you know, than what we're doing right now.
2: So you argue for better Types of seafood consumption. I want to go to Jennifer now. And Jennifer, I'm going to read something that is on your website. Uh, You've written Seafood consumption has nearly doubled worldwide in the last decade, but fish stocks have not kept pace. Sea life at all levels of the food chain is at risk. Although plastics and other environmental issues have harmed the ocean, nearly all of this depletion can be drilled down to one thing consumption. And yet, you argue for increased consumption of fish to fix this problem, which seems kind of counterintuitive, well, to say the I least. See,
5: but I see the solution as, again, do you sit at a restaurant and ask if your ribeye was wild caught? No one does. We have a balance, obviously, in our food, and we should not have consumptive entitlement when it comes to eating ocean resources. You know, we, I work, I'm on the board for the Marine Mammal Center. Obviously, we're concerned about whether or not cetaceans and Marine mammals have, you know, the resources they need to be able to sustain their diet. So I am an I am a sustainable, regenerative, ethical water farmer champion. And we can do that through in the Bay Area. We have things like oysters and mussels and things that will filter water to help us fight the effects of climate change in our backyard. Everyone we have Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch, which has, you know, not very many places where I speak. Can I say, you know, of this organization, you trust it. You visited the aquarium when you've gone there as a school kid you know the hard work that they have 20 years of quantifiable data and improvements that they're working on worldwide and it wasn't just oceana that brought up the antibiotic issues in chile which there are for salmon farming but then the then chile and the industry made a commitment to seafood watch to cut that antibiotic use in half by 2025 that's where those dollars those foundation dollars are going so What I'm saying is that, yes, we need more fish and seafood. We need more access. We're going to need it because it is the lowest carbon footprint and the lowest input of any protein that we can get on the planet when we grow to a to a population of 10 billion by 2050. But aquaculture already is, and it will be a continued part of the process. And so what I feel is that right now, it's sort of like fair trade coffee. You know, when fair trade coffee was introduced, the beginning of which was in California, it was a available at Buy Right, and it was very expensive. Two coffee producers were fair Trade certified. Now, fast forward, since 1995, even Costco requires that all of their coffee is fair Trade certified. So when you think about ratings, certifications, recommendations, you can look for things like the fair trade logo on seafood and know that you can eat it sustainably and ethically. So it's really getting engaged in your food and supporting those actors that are doing the right thing.
2: Holly writes in, let's not forget that in addition to industrial-scale fishing, the oceans, which supply 50% of the oxygen we breathe and absorb, most of the, co- of the carbon dioxide pollution we emit are suffering from other problems and provide more than protein. And um, I'd like to also go to one last caller in this hour, and that would be Bronson. Bronson, you're calling from Danville.
1: Yeah, hello, everybody. It's uh, great to be on. Um, the, uh, the Netflix documentary really um, – can, can everybody hear me? Yes, thanks. Okay, just making sure. Um, the Netflix documentary really impacted me in a lot of ways. Um, and I realize that some of the data may be trumped up, but, you know, the thing is, is since I was a, a small boy watching Jacques Cousteau, we've been talking about how we need to, you know, act more responsibly with our oceans. And today we're having the exact same conversation. We're, we're, we're talking about, you know, how we're doing positive things and, and, and dolphins save tuna and, and, you know, nets in the ocean. I was totally shocked to hear that 46% of the plastic in the ocean is fishing nets. So these people on their boats aren't even cleaning up after themselves. But it's not So, true. so we can't regulate
2: and and How is that not? so so i think some few further research has said perhaps it's it's 10% instead of 46% but nevertheless it does seem like a large amount of plastics that are coming into the ocean it's certainly a concern we only have just a couple of minutes left and before we go i'd like to get from each of our panelists one Thing, one action that you would say we should take in order to uh, restore abundance to our waters. Daniel, let me start with you, uh, if you can quickly give us your piece of advice.
4: Yeah, but I don't really know who, who we is. I told you why the the idea that consumers can change things as consumers um, is not sound to me. And the intervention I can mention that would help most with fixing problems in fisheries is uh, abolishing subsidies and introducing le- legislation such as the Stevenson Mac, uh, the Magnuson Stevens Act throughout the world. But that is not something that you do as consumers. Something that you do as citizens.
2: And uh, Alan, let's go to you next. Founder and CEO of Real Good Fish.
3: I would say be an active consumer. You know insist in knowing where your food comes from, not just your seafood, but all food. I mean, it's incredibly rewarding to know where your food comes from and to know that you're participating. And this is, again, where I think the consumer has more power now than they ever have before. Our direct-to-consumer model is an example of that. When you're getting fish directly from the fishermen, you are actually impacting the lives of of families and coastal communities by choice. And, And then in addition, eating a diversity of species. There's a tremendous amount of fish out there Most of the stuff that's sustainable actually you probably aren't finding. And so seek that out, small fish in particular. And then finally, you know, be adventurous with your your diet. Try new things. The world is changing dramatically.
2: I do want to squeeze Jennifer in here. We've got 30 seconds. Jennifer, if you could give us your best advice.
5: Yeah, I mean, Jacques Cousteau, I sit on the board of Alexander Cousteau's Oceans 2050. He said, we must plant the sea and herd its animals using the sea as farmers instead of hunters. This is what civilization is all about. Farming, replacing, hunting.
2: Thank you all so much, Alan Lovewell, Daniel Polly, Jennifer Bushman. We have been talking about the true cost of the seafood industry and the controversial Netflix documentary Sea this hour. You're listening to Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim.